while I'm introducing myself, if you want to be opening your Bible to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start, uh, the, the parable today is the parable of the two sons. We're going to start with a little bit of context. So we're going to start in verse 23 um, and read through verse 32. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh Parks. If you know me, my name is still Josh Parks, actually. actually. Uh, but I'm Josh Parks. I'm an elder here at Riverside Community Church. Um, if today's your first day or you're relatively new, I just want to welcome you. So we're so glad to have you with us uh, on this holiday weekend. Uh, I'm in the Hampton Small Group, and uh, I'm going to be preaching this morning. Um, on, we're in a parable, a series of parables, so we're, we're going through all these different parables, these stories that Jesus told, um, and kind of unpacking the meaning of those parables. So I'm going to read from, uh, in, from verse 23 in Matthew 21 to verse 32. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come, sorry, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he launches directly into a parable. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I'm going to start with a question for the kids. Where are the kids at? Raise your hands. I wanna, yeah, no, the, yeah, the real kids. Yeah, there we go. Okay, do you know what the word backfire means? What does the word backfire mean? When something backfires. Anybody know? Okay, we've got an answer. Man, I couldn't have, I did not, I did that, well done. I, there was no prompting on my part, I didn't plan for that. That was the perfect answer, thank you so much, well done. Um, she said, it's when you try to do something and it comes back on you. Um, and I, that's absolutely what happens here in this passage. I was reading a story recently, I uh, heard of the story of, the, of this guy who was at swim practice, um, school swim practice, and he goes into the locker room afterwards and finds some clothes, like a pile of clothes sitting by the sink, 
um, in the locker room. And so he thinks, this will be really funny. I'm going to play a prank on whoever left their clothes here. And he, and he takes the clothes and he puts them in the sink and just douses them, soaks them in water, which is so mean to do. Somebody comes in from wet from swim practice and then their clothes are wet. They can't change, don't have dry clothes to change into. And all of the people in the locker room are laughing. They think this is so funny, this prank that he pulled. And then the guy walks over to his locker and opens it up. And it's empty. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I put my clothes by the sink when I walked into the locker room today. And he realizes that he soaked his own clothes. And so he has to wait for everybody to leave the locker room, uh, pretend, you know, pretend like he's going to get dressed, and then dig some dirty, nasty clothes out of the lost and found and put them on and take his wet clothes out of the sink, <laughs> wring them out, and then walk to the parking lot um, humiliated. Uh, that's a great, that's, a st- that's backfiring. That's when something backfired. This mean joke that he had planned to play on somebody else backfires on him. Um, and he finds out that he played the joke on himself. Well, in, in the context leading up to this parable, you get to see uh, the, the elders and the chief priests, the, the highest religious leaders in the land, try to catch Jesus, and the, their plan backfires really badly. Um, and so uh, w- w- that's what we see happening here. Jesus enters the temple, and the chief priests and the elders uh, are waiting there for him. And they say, they, they, they have a question for him. They say, we want to know, where does your authority come from? Where did you get your authority? So they question his authority. And they're hoping to catch him in something. Either, either saying something that will lead the people to not follow him anymore, um, you know, hurt his credibility, or better, even better, something that will get him arrested, that they could use to arrest him. Um, and so Jesus, rather than answering their question, says, I, uh, I'll make you a deal. I'll tell you where my authority comes from if you tell me where John's authority comes from, John the Baptist. Um, the chief priests are kind of stuck. They, they don't really know what to do with that. So they, they get together, they huddle up, and they're like, okay, if we say from heaven, then of course Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? Because they, they didn't believe John the Baptist. Um, and if we say that his authority is from man, then the crowds are going to turn on us. Because John is really popular. People like John. They think that he's a prophet. So what do we do? Um, and they choose the coward's way out. They, they say, well, we don't know. And I want to point out something here. They're, they huddle up. They, they're, not, they're not asking, all right, what's the right answer to this question? Like, where does John's authority come from? <laughs> they're asking, how do we respond to Jesus <laughs> in the right way that will get what we want out of the situation? There's no concern for what the truth is. It's just, how do we catch Jesus, or how, how do we respond to this question? And so they take the coward's way out, because they know that they, either way they answer, right, it's not going to go well for them. Um, and so, uh, but what's funny here is that the backfire is even worse than that, because Jesus, in asking this question, is, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant response to what they're, what they're trying to do. They're asking Jesus, where does your authority come from? And Jesus instead makes them wrestle with the question, where does your authority come from? Where does your authority come from? Um, because they, he's asking them the same question back to them. They don't even realize it. And they answer it. They answer the question amongst themselves. 
not, not out loud to Jesus, but they, uh, when they huddle up and start talking about it, they answer the question, where does their authority come from? Well, who do they fear? You can answer that. It's not rhetorical. Who do they fear? The crowds. Yeah. So where does their authority come from? From the people. From their popularity. Their authority doesn't... I mean, they may be given this God-given position of authority, but they're ultimately answering to the people, to the crowds, and to their popularity. Um, They were more worried about their popularity than telling the truth in this moment. Um, and, And being a leader if you're a good leader, (laughs) means sometimes you're going to have to say things that are unpopular. You're going to have to do things that people don't like. And they're unwilling to do that here because their popularity to them is their God. What the people think about them is more important than telling the truth. I'll be honest, I'm a, some of you identify with this, I'm a certified people pleaser. I confess that. I, I struggle with that too with wanting to be liked, sometimes over, over and above what's right and what's true. And that's a struggle for me to do that sometimes, to speak the truth when, it's, when I know it's not going to be what somebody wants to hear. Um, let me tell you, uh, doing that, having that struggle um, while you're an elder in a diverse church during a pandemic is hard. There were many moments when uh, the elders knew that no matter what decision we made about how to respond to the pandemic, that somebody was going to be unhappy. Somebody was going to be upset. And so there's this constant tension. You feel this tension of, I, I know that somebody's, I'm going to hear from somebody about this. Um, and, and somebody's going to be unhappy. And there was no way to walk that perfect line of, of, of making everybody happy. It was impossible. Now, to your credit, Riverside, um, it's a joy and a privilege to, to lead this congregation. Um, and I know pastors in other churches who struggled way more during the pandemic um, with the diverse views of their church. I mean, people leaving and trying to, over, I mean, all sorts of, uh, of, of terrible stuff. And, and you guys powered through um, in some really great ways. I mean, people who didn't want to wear masks showed up in masks when we, were, when we were requiring that. People who weren't really ready and comfortable to come, to come back and re-engage in person did so because we asked them to, um, even though it, they still weren't totally comfortable being around people. So I just want to commend you for that. They, this, this, uh, but still, the tension was there for us, and there were many moments when we felt like there's just no way to make any, everyone happy here. Um, so I, I don't want you to hear me saying it was torture to be an elder <laughs> during the pandemic. Okay? Uh, I empathize a little bit, though, with the chief priests here because they, they don't want to tick off the crowd, and I get that. It's not fun to be unpopular. But, let's be honest, they took the cowardly way out. Rather than telling the truth and being honest about what they think, I would assume they think, they didn't even talk about what they think, what the, what the real answer was. They just talked about the way, how they could respond to Jesus. I, I assume they believed in a, 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 that John's uh, authority didn't come from God, that it came from man. Uh, but that's not what they said. Uh, if popularity is your God, then you serve a fickle and transient God. And that is who they were serving in that moment. And I can tell you as a leadership coach and a, a teacher of leadership classes, uh, that leaders who don't rein in their need to be liked, um, 
that when that struggle um, is not reined in, um, they struggle to hold people accountable. Um, they struggle to get results, sometimes to the point of disqualification. If, if your main need is to be liked, then it can disqualify you as a leader. And I think that's what we see here um, in this context. So that's the context for this parable. Jesus has this conversation um, with the chief priests and elders and, and says, where does your authority come from? Makes them wrestle with that. And they are, are honest, at least within themselves, and say, it comes from our popularity. And then Jesus immediately digs in further by telling them this story about two brothers. Their father tells the, the brothers to go work in the vineyard. Um, this, con you know, the context of the vineyard and the father telling the brothers to go work in it would have been very accessible for this crowd. <laughs> Vineyards were all over the place. Um, so they, it, you know, this would have been a, a story that, yeah, this would be pretty normal, right? Father goes, tells, tells the sons to go work in the vineyard. Um, the first son says, I will not, but then later changes his mind and goes to work in the vineyard. The second son says, very politely, I go, sir. I go, sir, but doesn't go. Now, kids, another question for you. Have you ever told your parents that you would do something and then you didn't do it? Yeah, I see a lot of, oh, some shaking heads, really? No? Yeah. Adults. <laughs> Have you ever told somebody you would do something? and then didn't do it. Yeah. So the second son lies, and we don't know, necessarily know what his motivation for lying was. Like, did he, was he just outright lying to his dad and saying, you know, yeah, I go, I'll, I'm on it, I'm on it, I'll, I'll go. And then he doesn't go because he never intended to, or did he intend to and then change his mind? We don't know. Jesus doesn't provide that clarity here, but, but whatever, it was, it was a lie. Um, and so, he, he didn't go. He didn't obey. And Jesus follow, follows up, ends the story with a question. says, which one did the will of the Father? Which one obeyed? The answer is obvious. The chief priests and the elders say the first one, obviously. The one who said he wouldn't go but did, did the will of the Father. And then Jesus explains the parable immediately. And I'm, I'm really, <laughs> uh, sometimes parables can be, confusing. Sometimes it can, it can be difficult. Some, Jesus didn't always provide an explanation for them. Um, and so James, I just want to thank you for giving me the, one of the parables where Jesus <laughs> did <laughs> provide, immediately provide that explanation um, for me to preach. Uh, Jesus says the tax collectors and the prostitutes who believed John the Baptist repented and were baptized. Those people are like the first son who rudely told his dad no. But then he changed his mind and obeyed. You, chief priests and elders, are like the son, who the second son, who respectfully said, I go, sir. Not like, I will go, but like, I'm on it. I'm, I'm, going, I'm putting my shoes on. Like, we're going, I'm going right now, dad. And then did not obey. So this explanation would have been super offensive to those chief priests and elders. Uh, which one did the will of the Father? You just admitted the first son. Well, the, t the tax collectors and the prostitutes who were baptized by John are like that son, and you're like the second one. That would have been so offensive um, to them. These people, he says, will enter heaven before you, chief priests 
and, and elder. I think we do a disservice <laughs> to the text and to, God, and to, to, to the Holy Spirit um, work in us as we read this text if we just look at the chief priests through this light of, man, they really missed it. <laughs> so dumb, <laughs> right? Um, and we don't put ourselves in their shoes for just a minute. So I'm going to ask you a really meddlesome question. Is there anyone that you would be offended to see entering the kingdom before you? Who do you think that you're better than? Because that's what the issue was here, right? Chief priests and uh, elders are thinking, like, how could you compare us to these people? So who's that person for you? Who are your tax collectors and your prostitutes? Maybe it's a Christian whose theology is not as strong as yours, not as good as yours. Maybe it's someone who doesn't think like you. Maybe it's someone who doesn't work as hard as you. Maybe it's someone with a certain political belief. I'd like to encourage you today to take some time and pray for that person or those people, that group, whatever it is. To pray for their souls, not as somebody who's better than them, but as a tax collector and as a former prostitute, as someone who is just as undeserving of God's grace as they are. Thank God that I am not getting what I deserve. I am the tax collector. I'm the prostitute. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And I read that and go, man, I'm no Paul. <laughs> What does that make me? I should look at every sinner, even the ones who I really don't like, who make me so angry I could spit, as a possible saint and pray for that to happen. I should look at every saint, even the ones I really don't like, and thank God for the grace that he showed them because their grace is my grace. So, after Jesus offends the chief priests and elders and exposes their hearts towards tax collectors and the prostitutes, he digs in even further. He says, John came to you in the way of righteousness. So, Jesus is commending John's ministry right here. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him, but they did. The tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. The people you think are the worst humans on earth. And then you saw it. He says, read in verse 32, and then you saw it. You saw the beauty of the gospel on display in their repentance. You saw them welcomed into the kingdom. You saw how the gospel inverts the moral economies of this world. You saw how the last become first. You saw true repentance. And instead of celebrating with the angels in heaven, these one souls, you didn't change your minds and believe. You didn't believe it. So Jesus is saying, the worst of sinners on earth, <laughs> in your mind, will enter the kingdom before you. Not because you're not welcome, but because they heard the gospel changed their minds and repented. They responded. 
and you didn't. You thought you didn't need to. So, to go back to the parable, which of those sons obeyed the father? The one who changed his mind. The one who repented. Obedience begins with a changed mind and a changed heart. A changed posture towards Jesus. Maybe you're like me, and you found yourself in in the midst of sermons making a mental list of all the places you're failing. I don't know, have you ever done that before? I, I do that all, I, I've found myself doing that so many times in the midst of a sermon. I remember just a couple of years ago, I was sitting over there in the middle of a sermon. Now, if you've been to Riverside for any length of time, you know that our, our sermons are very gospel-centered. It wasn't this hellfire and brimstone sermon, but I'm sitting there making a list of all the places I'm failing. Man, I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. I need to be a better business owner. I need to steward my finances better. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. Just making this list. And at some point, the Holy Spirit <laughs> entered into the equation and said, Josh, what are you doing? You keep make, you're making this list of all the ways that you think you're failing. And, and, and making promises to do better. Because that's what I was doing. I was saying, all right, I'm going to do better here. I'm going to do better here. I'm going to work harder here. I'm going to, right? And that was the list I was making in my head. Better, 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 more, more, more. If that's you, if you identify with that, can I ask you this morning just to stop making lists for a second? To do better and to try harder? Stop trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and confess your sins instead to Jesus this morning. And receive forgiveness. When we feel convicted, and, and I th- think, that, I mean, I, I'm not saying that all those things that I felt like I was failing in, there wasn't room to grow in those, that I, they weren't struggles for me, they are. But when you jump straight from conviction to do better, try harder, you're skipping a really important step in the middle. You're short-circuiting the gospel. The gospel is not, you're a sinner, but Jesus died so that you can try real hard. And do better. But sometimes that's how we make it, right? I feel convicted. I need to do better. I need to try harder. The gospel that the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed and were baptized into was this. You are a sinner. And you did nothing to deserve the grace that Jesus showed you. The grace that offers you a place in the kingdom. But Jesus is... Obedience can be your obedience. And through that a transformative relationship with him, you can learn to obey out of a response of being forgiven. Repentance is a recognition that you need Jesus and sorrowfully confessing sin and turning away. That's what repentance means, turning away. Turning away from that sin and back to him, back to Jesus. Forgiveness does not come from your obedience. Your obedience comes as a response to being forgiven. Jesus didn't leave the tax collectors and the prostitutes as tax collectors and prostitutes. He called them to turn away from their sin and to follow him. And that response, that turning away, that 
that obedience came as a response to being forgiven for those sins. It didn't earn the forgiveness. Maybe you're like me and you bought a lie. I've thought this in the past. Maybe I'm the only one. I I doubt it. Maybe you're like me and you bought the lie that you you can't repent of a sin that you're sure you're going to commit again. Why, why would I repent of snapping at my kids? Because I know I'm going to do it again. What point is there of confessing that sin? Because I know it's going to happen again. That's a lie from Satan. You can and you should turn away from sin and repent and then do it over and over and over again. That's actually how transformation happens, is through those rhythms of repentance. Not trying harder and doing better. Change your mind repent, turn back to Jesus again and again. God's been working uh, in me lately, I would say the past two years, to go from occasional repentance to a daily rhythm of repentance. Just taking my sins before the Lord and keeping a short account with him. If you're going to come away from this sermon with anything on your to-do list this morning, I hope it's to spend some time in daily, daily repentance, in daily confession. Um, receiving love and forgiveness as you confess your sins. That's how transformation happens. Sometimes it takes years of repenting over and over and over again and trusting that God does not get tired of forgiving you. So we have to, at the end of the day, I have to believe First John when he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have to believe that, that God does not get tired of forgiving the same sins over and over and over again. If I confess them, he will forgive them.